שלום ג'ים, שלום עליכם. שלום רבי, מה נשמע? ברוך השם, so good to see you. So good to be uh, seen. You know what, I, we, I've enjoyed the guests that we've been having lately, and I'm, I'm looking forward oh. to, to, have, to having some more, but today it's just the two of us, so, um, you know, that's okay too. Well, but, I, I um, hope the audience doesn't mind. Well, you, you know, know, it's a, they'll make their choice, but uh, yeah, we've really had some wonderful guests, so, yeah. and inspiring too, and it's all part of the whole spiritual awakening that's going on in the world today, and you know that... This is the last week of the month of Tevet. This coming Thursday, it's January 11th, is going to be Rosh Chodesh, the new moon of Shvat. You know that it's a leap year this year, Jim, so there's going to be two months of Adar. Right. And the month of Shvat is a very, a very singular, special time also because it's a time of refreshing renewal opening up our eyes and seeing new possibilities you know the climax of the coming month of Shvat is Tubishvat the 15th of the month which is going to be observed on January 25th and that's the time of this new life force that uh, resonates within all of creation so there's something about this coming month you know we always talk about this because we're so sensitive to time and the nuances and the ebb and flow of the of the singularities of the avodah of our particular type of service of Hashem that changes throughout the year that's the whole concept of it. we're human you know which we're not we're not um, set in stone and and there Hashem being the architect of the world and being the creator of mankind he The universe is, is constantly moving in different energies. So this particular month is specifically a time of like the um, stirring up of new energies, new creative energies from deep within inside of us. And um, that has a lot to do with the fact that we're in the midst of the winter now, which is a pretty chaotic time in, re- in reality it's also a very dark and chaotic chaotic time and then this month comes which is like a time of transformation literally the upcoming month of Shvat is a time of of um, potential for transformation and the confluence is so exquisite with these Torah portions that we're that we're reading now which are all about um, the Exodus and And the tension in the world now it's like such a such a powerful messianic tension really I can't call it anything else everybody it's on everybody's lips right Jim like when, when is Mashiach coming already like if not now when so it's 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 palpable like this that that we're on the cusp of the of a tremendous prelude to change so I'm saying that fits in beautifully with Shvat and with these Torah portions and with what's going on in the world today yeah you know we didn't get to talk about uh We talked a little, in fact, uh, our guest last week, Yochanan uh, Castellanos, uh, he gave us a little bit of insight, he gave a little Devar Torah in itself, and we didn't get to explore the uh, last week's Parsha uh, all that much, Shemot, but you know what occurred to me, just now what you were talking about is a real component of, of last week's Parsha and this week's Parsha is, is the idea of doubt and and. Boy, you, what you just said, I mean, we, we, you look around us right now with, with the war in Gaza and the way it's being viewed in the world, and it's, it's being used uh, in one way, it's being used to cast doubt on the, on the people of Israel and their right to survive, their right to exist, 
everything about them. It's and I find that um, it's there's just so many again this is connectivity this these parallels between it, it go we go to we go back to the garden and the right. original caster of doubt and even even that began in in the at the burning bush with Moshe Rabbeinu. And we're about to see all that sort of beginning to put that arrest. And I wonder if 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 we're uh, are we looking at uh, a time where uh, because of people's response to Israel being attacked and defending itself, are we getting ready to see some I don't know some monumental? I don't want to sound like a you know I don't even know what the word would be, but you know. That Hashem I know what you is mean because everybody step... everybody is ta- is talking about like that because it's yeah. just it seems to be um, you know accurate you know I also it's difficult to go out on a limb and and to and to make that kind of, it, it sounds a little bombastic right is what you're is what you're saying but the fact is that everything that our sages describe about the end days as it were the time of of preparation for the redemption. Everything that's going on now is it is exactly that template. And what you said about doubt, <clears throat> it's so true. First of all, you know, you're talking about the what's the the fact. The fact is, today is the ninety fourth day of Israel's war against Hamas, and the situation is so difficult, Jim, on so many levels, and it, and it's such a tremendous test of faith. And that's the whole key to, to, to the gu'ula, to the redemption. Everything that we're learning about in terms of the Torah portions that have to do with Egypt have to do with faith. The, everything, that, everything that Hashem was doing in Egypt also that we need to speak about in, this, in today's Torah portion, this week's Torah portion of Parshat Va'era, it's all about the challenge of emunah. And the thing is, like the way you just expressed it also, you know, this whole thing is because Israel had the audacity to defend itself. You know, you wouldn't know you wouldn't know it from the uh, the virulent expressions of like Jew hatred all over the world that this whole thing is about that that Israel actually was attacked and is defending itself and and it wears thin here also, you know, again, you and I were talking about how in the in the early days of the war uh, you know, we're, we're 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 up to the just about the third anniversary, the three month anniversary of the three month anniversary of the attack. And in the beginning, you know, we were talking about this feeling of camaraderie, of of brotherhood, of unity that we're experiencing, and we still are experiencing it a lot. It's just is something that's rippling through society on many levels, right? This idea of of unity, but I'm concerned that it is. Wearing thin, you know, because that's that's human nature, and and so, because there's a machinery, Jim, and the machinery is a machinery of falsehood. It's just like the pharaonic machinery of falsehood, and the machinery is the media, the machinery is also the government, the machinery is the establishment that's in place that wants to keep a person preoccupied with doubts and and um, small-mindedness and seeing things in a very, very limited way, that's exactly where Pharaoh had the people. You know, he gave them busy work. He gave, he gave them um, work that encouraged uh, gender uh, dystopia. He gave them work that was frustrating. You know, they, they built these, these structures, and at the end of the day, the Midrash says they collapsed, you know, just so they should see that they're accomplishing nothing. It's like that, that, that you, know, you know how the Midrash always describes this very powerful psychodrama of um, psychology, right? That's like a, 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 the paradigm of 
of our lives on the hamster wheel. You know, the hamster wheel is the Satan, is the Yetzirah, is Pharaoh that keeps us thinking about anything but having faith in Hashem. And so I got to tell you something important to me, and that is when all the dust settles and this and this starts to really um, come to a head, which it of which it hasn't yet, you know, because it's something global, also being being led by the events in Israel. People are going to have to make the final choice of of an emunah, a faith-based choice. And that is such a huge step because, you know what it really means, Jim? We'll just like go straight to the, to the punchline. You know, it's like, who is really ready for the fact that only Hashem is king? And no one else represents us, and no one else will do, and no one else... And it's time for the nonsense to, to end. You know, that's what Mashiach is. That's what, he, he's, he is a representative of, of God, of God's kingdom. And he has no ego. And he has no, no personal agenda. He is representing the, the honor of Hashem and the knowledge of Hashem. He brings people to the knowledge of Hashem. And the redemption is all about letting go of all of the things that we think are our master's and accepting only Hashem. And the real question is, are we ready for that? Because that's what's coming, really. And, and I think this is part of the secret the sages talk about. You know, it, it can be like a very rude awakening, or it could be very, very compassionate. It depends on if we're really working on, on um, building the vessel to hold this light, if I may speak in that, in, the, in that metaphor. And I'll explain what I mean exactly about that. But the thing is this, you know, here we are, the month of Shabbat is coming. We've been, we've been involved in this existential struggle that's much, much more than people realize what it really is. And, and, and I'm not just talking about what's going on with the Jewish people all over the world, what they're facing. And I'm not just talking about the Iranian threat, which is creeping out from everything, from behind everything. It's all about this axis of evil, you know. But what I really want to say is, it's not for naught that the sages emphasize that everything that happened in Egypt, all the details of the redemption and the redemptive process are a template for every subsequent redemption. Rabbi, the, 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 that, that, the template is right there in Gan Eden. It, it, it's, it's Yes, it's staggering. getting back to Gan Eden, right. It's, it's getting right. back to Gan Eden because what's right. the first, everything started with, with the Nachash casting doubt. Yes, I mean, that's what's remarkable about this is this sort of not really a mini drama because there's nothing you mean, minimal. I don't even about know if you're it. aware of this. I got to tell you this. I got to. I got to say this right now. I'm sorry for interrupting you. Do you know that Nachash is the gematria of Hamashiach? Oh wow! Is that that's, crazy? That's, a, that's crazy. That's because amazing. of exactly what you're saying. Because he is the one that settles the doubt once and for all. He's the. It's like the equation Nachash equals Mashiach is because that's the answer. That's the answer, because this is all about doubt. But what I'm saying is the, the template of, of the ultimate, final, perfect redemption is based on Egypt. In other, in other words, the Egyptian exile was the mother of all exiles, the mother of all subservience, all f- servitude, all psychological warfare, which is exactly what Pharaoh is all about. He's about psychological warfare. And the redemption from Egypt is in the one way the template, <clears throat> but in the other, on the another way, as we have a beautiful verse in Micha, right? Well, how do you say that in English? Micah, chapter seven and verse fifteen says, right? 
chapter 7 and verse 15 of the prophet Micha says, As in the days of your exodus from the lands of Egypt, I will show him wonders. <clears throat> and our tradition explains that what the prophet is alluding to is the fact that the miracles and the and the revelations and the exuberance and the and the deep felt joy and faith in Hashem that will be experienced in the future redemption will outshine and outshadow even the miracles of the Exodus from Egypt. In other words, what's going to happen is going to make the ten plagues and the splitting of the sea and all that look like child's play because it's going to be something completely on a on a on a much greater level globally. So it, it's, it's it's no. I I was going to say I I, I don't want to sound like a, a you know a, like I'm stuck in a rut here or something, but I can't. Uh, you know, every everything you said establishes this this. Uh, this drama that we have continually gone through the ages, and, and I was rereading it, it, the, the study of this sent me back to the the, the story in Gan Eden, and you have her dealing with with something called the serpent, the Nahash, and the fact that he spoke these subtle words to her, this this serpent, and how did Pharaoh trick Israel into? Into literally coming into bondage, he spoke. He spoke the soft mouth, <laughs> soft mouth, Bef- and, right. and the Pharaoh. And what is what is on top of Pharaoh's crown? The snake, the serpent. So we have we have that we have these symbolic elements that are repeated there in the Exodus story that began in Gan Eden. And I was looking over back over uh, in in Breshit, and it, it says that. Uh, after this was after the deed was done, that Hashem was cursed with a mouth filled with dust. The, a mouth filled with dust. Are we talking about the sands of Egypt? I, I mean, it even gives us a kind of geographical aspect to it. Interesting. You know, the, the dust of, of Egypt, which, you know, is, is part and parcel of, of the layout of the land. And, uh, you know, he had, a, he had a crown, you know, topped with... And then it, it says that uh, in the punishment that would follow the serpent, that uh, that he would strike the heel, and of course, what does what does the word what is the same root of heel is Yaakov's name, mm-hmm. Akev, and then and then we carry it further, and and uh, it says that that uh, that Eve's descendants would strike the head of the servant, and. W- Rabbi, what do we call the ten plagues? Makot. Aren't, aren't they called strikes? They really are. It, it's translated plagues, but the word makah really means like a hit, like a strike. Like a strike. And and I was I was astounded by this. And then as we as we uh, uh, we 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 get into the beginning of last week's Torah parsha, and and Moshe Rabbeinu is at Sinai at the at the uh, the burning bush, and there are three tests that are given uh, that, that Moshe, they're not tests, they're proofs. Right. Because he's, he's filled with what? He's filled with doubt. Right. And, he, and, he, and he continually sort of like, you know, kicks against the idea that I, I can't be this messenger. I can't fulfill this thing because I can't speak and all this. So he says, how will, how will the people of Israel even believe I am who I say I am? And, and he, that actually that actually upset Hashem because 
Yeah. This is what we learned that it's one thing that he doubted himself, but it's but he had no right to doubt that the people would believe. He's kind of exactly. like kind of like um, underestimating the 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 in the innate faith of the of the heart of Israel. Right. His doubt was his doubt was directed at the people, and so Hashem, in His mercy, says, "Okay, let's let's do three things." And there are three three signs that he will take back to Israel, not just for Pharaoh, but also for the people. And I was reading an interesting thing that the commentator uh, Malbim said, and he said that these three different tests, the one with the the, uh, the, the rod, the one with his hand put inside his, uh, his uh, garment, and he pulls it out, and it's leprous. And uh, I've gone blank. What was the third one? The water um, turning to blood. Water turning to blood. And what's remarkable is that this is the description of the, Malbum says, the plagues came in sets of three, three types of plagues, and they were all tied to those three proofs. For instance, the, 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 uh, the, the, uh, his rod turning to, into a serpent is his first test with Pharaoh. And then, and then the the uh, the leprous skin is the type of plagues that affected the skin of the Egyptians, and of course the the thing that kicked off all of them was the water being turned to blood, and something that I really wanted to share with you, and you you, you mentioned talking about uh, some of the things in Egyptology. I've spoken before about the uh, famous Epawar papyrus and all of its list of of calamities written by an Egyptian sage by the name of Epor. And we know there are several that talk about the, the river being turned to blood. But the one that I love so much is, is that uh, when he's still at Sinai, Hashem tells Moses, he says, take the water and pour it on the ground. And when you pour it out, it'll be turned to blood. In the Epor papyrus, it says, he who poured water on the ground captured wow. the strong man in misery. Wow. And so so there's a little bit of archaeological but I, I, I again I'm I'm uh, I'm thinking about all these things in parallel. It's it's almost like we have three sets of parallels with the test, with the plagues, and even the parallels from Gan Eden to Egypt and all wrapped up in dealing with the thing that is so existential today is again doubt. And, right. and, and, and what, what does everybody, not everybody, everybody that I know, the acts of Hamas in Gaza and, and in the surrounding area, when the, the attacks of October 7th, what, what figure from, from the Torah are, do we compare these, this savagery to? Amalek. Amalek. And what, was the, what is the primary characterization? Which, which has the numerical value, the gematria of safek, which means doubt. Doubt, on, a, on, exactly. a, on a spiritual level, the sages teach that the whole thing of Amalek is that through its horrible acts, it sows the seeds of doubt mm-hmm. amongst the people and makes them feel that Hashem is not present. And yeah. you know, the, the mystic sages talk about the fact that the real battle of the redemption is going to be a battle of doubt, not of, not of bullets, but of a spirit of doubt that people have to overcome. And, you know, I was thinking about the fact that, again, the, the parallels are incredible. I mean, it, it, it's like we are now living in 
uh, a book of the Bible, you know, that that we are writing. You know, I always talk about the fact that that we are the Torah. You know, it's not it's not a story that we're reading, but the story of our lives. It's like it's uncanny that, how things are lining up, and now because. Again, we, we this whole thing that was unleashed, this this uh, you know horrific, powerful force that's 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 been introduced into the world now that we are that we are fighting against. The we are being urged to keep up the unity that we have been awakened to, and not to go back to being fed to think and believe what we what they want us to think and believe this is a very very big challenge you you know exactly what i'm talking about it's it's what the media the machinery does it's not just the media it's all the powers that want to keep us subservient because again it's it's this is a, this is how it is it's not like do we have confidence in this political party more than that one or in this leader more than that one it's all nonsense jim it's all nonsense it's either hashem or nothing that's really what it is if people are ready to hear that or not you know the question is why does the torah repeat so many times at least 36 times and and in different contexts even more that we were slaves in Egypt and that we should remember what is that I understand it was a very great thing that Hashem liberated us I understand I appreciate it I understand we have to be we have to be understanding of 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 the servants because we were one servants I understand all of that but so many times it's such a principle it's actually one of the six positive commandments that we have to be um, mindful of every single day to remember that Hashem took us out of Egypt and one of the holiest things in the world that a Jew does is to put on tefillin in the morning. And one of the basic uh, ideas of the tefillin is that it's a reminder that Hashem took us out of Egypt. What is that? What is that all about? It's not just a, a, a historical concept. It's not just a, 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 an act of remembrance so that it you know, inspires us to thankfulness, which it does and which is very, very important. But it's much, much more than that. It's the fact that that whole experience is a template for all time. Yeah. It's a template for all time, and, and, and therefore, we're commanded so many times to remember it, I don't even know if we get it. And here's what I mean, and here, this is serious. How many Jews left Egypt <laughs> you know, when there well, was time the, to go? We know, the, we know the number of fighting men. We know that because we're given that number, 600,000. Uh, but what uh, I'm referring fight. to is the chilling uh, account from our sages that only oh, well, one-fifth... Yeah, only yeah, exactly what you're saying. I, I didn't understand the question. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what the that's, idea what, is that's how what many people to. stayed behind. Exactly. That's what that's what I should have said. So there's this 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 devastating uh, teaching that our sages tell us that four fifths of the Israelites also perished in the plague of darkness. Under and at least Hashem had compassion. The Egyptians shouldn't see it, so they shouldn't say, "Oh, their Jews are also being punished under the plague of darkness." Why? You know why? It's just it gets stuck in the throat. I can't even say it because it's so because they didn't want to leave. Because they said, like Moshe, what are you making this trouble for us? Please, what what is this? Where you know we're 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 integrated into Egyptian society. We have we have uh, you know Jewish organizations. We have we have uh, edifices. Uh, and so, like, what? 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 See, have the good life here. So they made us slaves. Okay, so we're slaves. It's okay. Why rock the boat? It's okay. And and, and you know, it's it, you, you mentioned before about the soft mouth. In the beginning of last week's Torah portion of Shemot, it says that all of the harsh work 
that he made them work was with beforech. It means it means um, harshness, right? But it, but farech, which is translated as harshness, really means soft mouth. And so the the midrash says that when it all started, and there was that snap, you know, there was that strange switch that I that I was talking about in several of the parshiot. How all of a sudden Yosef was forgotten, the past was erased, the fact that the boy wonder, the Jewish boy wonder, you know, saved the world and everything that was all forgotten, and there was a new king and all that. So the Midrash talks about how when, when Pharaoh began the uh, servitude, the enslavement of Israel, the, the Farech means that he rolled up his sleeves and he went down to the, to the mud banks, whatever, with the, with the Jews, and he, and he said, this is how to do it. And he was like a man of the people, you know, like a yeah. politician kissing babies and, and, mm-hmm. and giving you an opportunity to be photographed. He was saying, like, I'm with you. Let's do this together. You're, right. You know, I'm one of you and you're one of me. And the Jews felt, oh... Yeah. This is so You're talking great. about we're, most of the co- commercials right? we see today on television yeah. for politicians. It's like we're one. Yeah. Of, we're one of you. Yeah. We're one of them. We made it. Yeah. You know, like looks like we yeah. made it. We're 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 you know. We're, he thinks so much of us. He's giving us this important job, and slowly, slowly, they turn that what looked like this democracy. Right? It looked like this beautiful democratic moment. They turned it into hell, mm-hmm. and they be- and they began a program of not just forced labor, but genocide, and used the small babies as bricks in the, in the mortar as well. It was, and it was a horrible, horrible Shoah. But it all started um, because the, the Jews had this illusion that they were welcomed into that society, and they never were. They never were. So, so, so I'm saying part of what's going on now, I think, in, the, in our understanding of how this template is repeating itself is for us to understand that only Hashem is king. Yeah. And everything, all, the whole Torah is full of that. We're, we're always taught that. But I'm saying that when we reflect on, on what Chazal, what our sages are teaching us about the Egyptian experience, I think it gives us a new insight into what slave mentality really means. Yeah. Slave mentality, right? right, right the Midrash, you, you know that the Midrash is full of descriptions about how, you know, the, the Jewish people... They left Egypt, but you can take a Jew out of the slavery, but it's harder to take the slavery out of the person. So they, that's why they needed the 49 days. That's the whole Kabbalistic concept of the counting of the Omer. They had to ascend in levels because they weren't ready to receive Torah yet because they still felt obligation to Pharaoh, right? That's, that's the whole idea. I, I think that this is, this is a, a huge concept that the sages are teaching. And again, another of the reasons why we have to repeat this all the time, this mantra, don't forget that you were slaves in Egypt, because the same type of psychological warfare is being employed against us now. And it's a different, might be a different type of slave mentality, but it's very, very similar. Because we, until we're ready to, 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 to just jettison the whole thing and realize, I have to make a vessel in my life, my life has to become a vessel to hold Hashem's light and nothing else. Yeah. It, what you're talking about, uh, even more so uh, today, is the fact that, you know, when you spoke of all of the Jews that perished in, in the plague of darkness, and even those that, there were some that uh, survived it and still stayed behind. And that is, is that you're asking these people who are living in what is then the most powerful nation on the earth. Egypt was a, a world empire. It was at the height of its prosperity, its power. And the doubters are saying, wait a minute, you, you want to leave the most powerful nation and go where? Schlep into the desert? Yeah, what Follow, is that? Following some demagogue with wild eyes uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. who says that yeah, God this, spoke to him? 
Yeah, I mean, here's a guy that used to used to walk up and down the halls of power, and he left all that. And you want to you want to join this wild man in the desert? I don't know about that. I'm you know we can't get takeout if we leave. By the way, <laughs> so I mean it's you know the, the I mean I'm being a little glib, but. I mean, being a little the, glib, the, but that was actually became one of their major complaints in the desert is that they couldn't get takeout. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, you know what's what's amazing is that uh, well, there's a lot of amazing things. You know, you, you spoke of of uh, the the idea of uh, you referenced. What's amazing to me again is how Hashem is going to take these this this young nation. It's a nation He created, something He's never done before. Or since he, he created a, a nation, and the uh, uh, he gave you know this is the problem is that it was the elite in Egypt that that wanted this to happen. They wanted they looked the other way when the slavery began. They looked the other way when the children were being thrown in the Nile, and because and they're the same ones that when Yosef passed away. Because they never liked this guy because he was a little too what's the word egalitarian, you know. He wants he wants the he wants the great unwashed out out there to think that they actually have worth, and they were all these people around the throne that were watching Joseph with jealous eyes, and now they have this descendant of the same family that is in their palace throwing a rod down to prove that he comes from a God whose name they've never heard. And they're thinking, okay, this, is that, this guy's cut from that same cloth, and we can't have it. And anyway, that's what, we're, that's what we have today. We basically have people telling you, the government will take care of all your needs. And when I heard a, a certain president say that a few years ago, I knew we were in trouble as a nation. And we've gone downhill ever since. And you know what? My brothers and sisters in the Jewish community, when that man was elected to power, I'll say it, his name was Obama, this was the first gentle sign. This was the first urging of, of Hashem to say, it's time to return to the land that God gave you. And now it's just exponentially grown in, in a kind of harshness now that we're we're facing with with fighting bottom an existential line, bottom line nothing nothing is haphazard and hashem is with us hashem doesn't abandon us but the, but it, it everything in life is a test everything that happens is a test and and I, and this theme of deepening our emunah and re, and realizing that only hashem is king and that everything else is an absolute illusion and distraction including the media including those that claim to be you know, representing us and those that claim to be protecting us, it doesn't. It just doesn't work like that. That it's not. It's not true. It's just not true. And so, and so, as I began, you know, speaking about the the concept of Shvat and how every month and every time has a different style of avodah of service of Hashem, and we're we're called upon to develop like a different part of our consciousness. I'm saying. This whole period now, as we are gliding into these Torah portions that <clears throat> detail, in fact, gliding is not the word, this week's Torah portion of Va'era contains seven out of the ten plagues, right? So the majority of the action uh, that's leading up to the redemption is going on in this week's Torah portion. I'm saying it's clearly a time that 
we're supposed to be taking all of this home and strengthening our faith, our faith and focusing on Hashem's promises and His providence despite the difficult times and realizing that in order, there's a new light coming into the world and in order for us to, to maintain it, why do the Kabbalists always speak about this metaphor? There's a vessel and there's a light. Vessels and light, because because that's what it is. Everything that we do, every good deed that we do, every is a preparation, and it helps to create a receptacle to to hold the spiritual essence, which is the light. And the vessel that we have to create now out of our own lives is going to enable us to focus on Hashem's presence. And the and it's and the vessel is made out of not giving in to despair, not not. F- falling for the lure of what of things that we're told that we know are not true and standing up for the honor of Hashem and realizing that this is the the template of the Egyptian exile is all ab- and and redemption is all about bringing the world to the recognition of what the purpose of life is amen and and that's that's really what's going on. Look at look at this week's parsha of Vayera. begins with this whole idea about Hashem's identity. It's very, it's very um, evocative, Jim. How do you understand that all of a sudden Hashem is speaking to Moshe in Exodus chapter six, and saying to him, "I am Hashem. I appeared to Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov as El Shaddai, but I never I never made myself known to them with the name Hashem." Which we don't really understand that when we look at the verse ostensibly, because we see that in in Genesis we see times when Hashem was identified as His name, Yudke Vavke Hashem, and yet here He's telling Moshe that I didn't, I didn't identify myself as such to them. So how do we understand that? And this has a lot to do with with exactly what the whole point of these plagues, these makot, were. Because, you know, the fa- one of the famous questions that the sages ask is, you know, why did Hashem do it this way? He's all-powerful, omnipotent. He could have just just taken taken him out. He didn't have to set up this whole drama with, it's like a circus, you know, with all these things that are going on, all these different stages. And we know on the deepest level that, you know, the, 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 um, there's so many different ways of understanding this. Like you said, there's, there are sets, there's three different sets, and there's so many different things that the, these particular plagues stand for. But the bottom line is that they are like a total unraveling of the natural order of things. Total unraveling, right? It's like, in fact, it's like the inverse process of creation itself. And it was about making himself known. It was about making himself known that he is above nature, that he is not just manifest in the natural world but that but that he is not a prisoner of the natural world he there is no there are no rules at all it's called it's called in language of this age is breaking the bank he broke their conception of everything that they thought and and you know that the name shaddai el shaddai right god almighty so the root of that word shaddai is dalit yud means enough it means like until here um, there's an expression that our sages use, blessed is he who said die, which in Hebrew means enough, to his world, meaning that he, he uh, limited himself, as it were. Let's say, let's say he limited creation, you know, this, this whole concept of the, of the constriction and the constriction of the universe, because let's say that Hashem created the ocean and the dry land, and there was no, and he didn't make a limit, he didn't make a border, so then there would be no differentiation, and then the earth would be flooded. So now he had to say, no, until here, this day is until here, night is until here, the sea is until here, the land is until here. That's the concept on an, in a nutshell of, blessed is he who said to his world, enough, meaning there are borders, there are limits. 
That's El Shaddai. But Yud Hey Vav Hey, Hashem's name, is something else altogether because it's that because it's that He is renewing all of creation at every moment, and th- there are no rules because He is. Past, present, and future at once. That name is a contraction of past, present, and future. So, so that's what it's. I, you know, I, I saw an essay today. I want to illustrate what I, what I mean by this. I saw a beautiful uh, uh, essay today, a Devar Torah written by the great Rav uh, Sachs of blessed memory, the ch- former chief rabbi of the British Empire, right? And he was talking about the plague of lice, the third plague, which is in our Torah portion this week. And he has this, this beautiful idea in this essay that he wrote. He called, I think the title of the essay was something like um, Hashem's Sense of Humor. And he says this, this idea of like Hashem uses irony and a certain kind of divine humor in Torah. An example that he gives, before, before, I, before he explains about the life, he says the previous example was with the tower. <laughs> where the people said that they were going to reach heaven, but the language in the, in the verse is Hashem says, I'm going to go down there and see, because it's so small, <laughs> it's so small that I have to go down there and, and look. So the thing about the lice is that, you know, the first two plagues, the Egyptians mi- mimicked, and they replicated it. And, and so Rav Sachs writes, this was such an, an unbelievable thinker, such an original, amazing man of blessed memory, what a tzaddik. So he writes, you know, basically the Khartoumim, the Nemoncrancers, the wizards of Egypt, they thought that Moshe and Aaron are just like them. They thought, oh, they, oh, you know, you do a slick job. <laughs> we do a slick job. You're playing at this theater. We're playing at that theater. It's the same thing. We know, we know you're part of the same union, and we know about prestidigitation. You know, we know how to do this sleight of the hand, too. And they thought that's all it is, right? But then when they saw that they couldn't create something so small as a, as a louse, <laughs> it's the singular, right? <laughs> Isn't that the singular? So, so they, then they said, oh, it's the finger of God. So what, so what Rav Sachs is writing is that what they were really saying is that, you know, they put science here, you know, science and, and all their um, <clears throat> pyrotechnics is on a pedestal. And then, and then there's God. And they, they weren't mixed. That nothing, nothing supernatural was mixed. When they saw this, that's when they had to, to say, oh, this must be God, but he's a separate thing. And by the way, there's a really interesting point that, that Rabbi Sachs makes in this essay, and I'm not doing it justice, just trying to summarize a couple of things. He says, what was, to the Egyptian society, what magic was, substitutes technology for our world. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's the same attitude that science has. That's, that's not the place of God, you know. That, that's, that's, you know we, we are ever powerful in this area. <clears throat> that was the whole thing that the magicians had with Moshe and Aaron. It's like, we are all powerful. But then when they couldn't imitate that, so they, oh, that must be your God, because we, we can't do that. But, but the whole idea of what Hashem was saying and why he calls it uh, irony and Hashem's humor is because Hashem was trying to show them, no, I'm in everything. I'm in your, I'm in your thing as well. I'm in your shtick also, your science, your technology. And that's what they refused to accept because they... Well, you know, because they, yeah. It's as if it's as if the, the the first two plagues were Hashem's way of the same way he did to them at later at the splitting of the sea. He drew Luring them, them in, into a certain he, kind of complacency, he, like, oh, this is the way it's right. gonna go. 
He says, let's let's set up this. Let's make sure that that they fall for this. It was like entrapment on the right. the Hartum meme. And what what I, I love about it is that the um, uh, th- these things are, are again are, are mentioned in these different sources that I brought up on the on the the, the podcast before, and uh, the uh, often uh, contemporary scholars will say that, that none of these things happen that they're talking about in the Book of Exodus. You know, they say there's no proof, there's no evidence, and yet you go to the Egyptian sources and they speak of these very same things. I've mentioned this uh, amazing. Uh, uh, floor length, uh, f- floor length wall uh, uh, design that's in the tomb of one of the Ramesside tombs in the Valley of the Kings, and I've seen this thing years ago. And it's called they call it the Celestial Cow, and it's an inscription of a time when when the gods were angry with Egypt, and all these calamities came upon them. And it mentions in this 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 bas relief. It's talking about this time, it, it says that uh, uh, the rivers turned to blood. And what's amazing is, is that it says that the, the, the priest of that day tried to replicate it to show the people it was nothing but trickery. It, and, they, and it says they poured dye into the Nile to, to trick the people into thinking that they were turning the Nile to blood. This is not an inscription on a tomb in wow. Egypt in the Valley of the Kings. It's called the Celestial Cow. It's also called the Destruction of Mankind. That's the other name given to the, the, the translators. And um, in, the, in the book of the Heavenly Cow, uh, it talks about a revolt by non-Egyptians against Egypt in this time of all these calamities. And uh, the divine punishment that came upon Egypt it, it uh, also spoke of this deity who, who was described as, I am who I am. <laughs> this is from the Egyptian sources. Now, there are those that will say, well, that's where, the, that's where the Israelites got their idea for this story. Fine. If you want to believe that, go ahead. Why would the Egyptians talk about the, 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 the ancient Egyptians and even all of the ancient empires were very loathe to talk about their um, their losses. They always talked about their victories. So when you have them go to the length of saying, well, we got we went through some bad times at the hands of the gods and we had to deal with it. This is this is a very unusual thing in the Egyptian, uh, you know, a pantheon of gods and all that. There's also uh, within the um, uh we, we know about the Ipar papyrus. There's a, a papyrus called the Westcar papyrus, and it speaks of, you know, what is the word that we read when they throw down their staffs? Uh, and it doesn't say the staffs turn to snakes. It actually doesn't say that. It, it says um, the tanim. word is, uh, yeah, uh, tanim. Yeah. Which, it's it's which really in, more accurately translated as serpent. It's a serpent, and, but sometimes in the ancient Egyptian language, it's a crocodile. Right. So well, we yeah, don't Tanin know wh- is actually a crocodile, wh- right. which is a which is still a reptile. Which is you know right. a, a reptile. It's of that 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 uh, particular order of animal. But what I love is the fact that, and I had to I had to write this down so I could I could express this. Was we have seven of the ten strikes, seven of the ten plagues, and we have we have these uh, these uh, references to these plagues. In the, in the Egyptian literature and in their tombs. And uh, here's what happened 
is suddenly we, there's a change that comes over Moshe Rabbeinu because there's also a change that comes over Pharaoh. At the very same time that, that these plagues are being, beginning to happen, and the seven plagues, and after, after the plague of the lice, they, the, the, the Hatumim throw up their hands and say, this is God, we can't help it. Well, you have an existential problem for Pharaoh now. His own court magicians and seers and, and his technology team says, we can't, we can't duplicate this. We are up against something that we've never faced before. And so Pharaoh has a problem. He has to give in to what's going on, or he, he, does, he can't give in. So what does he do? It says in the text that God's, it, people often translate it as God hardened his heart. But, what, but the first time this comes up in the Torah, the word actually means strengthened, right? Right. It says, it says God strengthened his heart. Well, what's amazing about this is we can see that, that Moshe seeing the, this majestic command of, of nature, this actually in, in tandem, uh, Pharaoh strengthens the heart of God, and he actually strengthens uh, free will has not been nullified because Moshe Rabbeinu has had his own silent prayer answered. Moshe Rabbeinu has now, um, it strengthened his own resolve, hasn't it? I mean, he's seen these things and and so he can no longer, he no longer So uh, if doubt. I understand you correctly, because this is a very deep insight, you're saying yeah. that, the, that the concept of strengthening the heart actually dovetails with free will with the essence right. of what a person wants, because it's basically Hashem is saying, like, I'm going to help you to do, to go in the very direction that is your pre predilection. In other words, I will you you're going that way. You know what? I will make it even easier. I will strengthen you to go and make the decision that you feel you want to make. Yeah, we we have the in, in, I think in Tehillim or Mishla, in, in either in Proverbs or Psalms, it says that God answers us according to the idols of our heart. And, and so this is a demonstration that both of these men were praying for that. Both of these men were praying for uh, uh, a way for them to, to make their way through it. And he essentially answered both their prayers. He answered Moshe's prayer, and he answered Pharaoh's uh, prayer. And he did it. Why? Because everything was happening, because it was his whole reason was to, was to nullify all the doubt among everybody, I'm going to take away all the doubt, and people fell fell according to right or left. They they either said, "Okay, this is not uh, the gods of Egypt are stronger, our Pharaoh was stronger," and Moshe Rabbeinu and all those that fell on his side of the aisle said, "This is the finger of God," and I th I think it's a um, it's it's a a resolution of what happened at Sinai when he says, "I need evidence, Hashem." And he says, uh, just stand and watch, you know. So that, anyway, I just wanted to express that. You're, so. uh, you're right on target. And I think that, the, that our theme today that, that you and I are both returning to over and over again is this concept of faith over doubt, because that's really what the whole concept of the exile in Egypt and the redemption teaches us. And again, as I, as I mentioned, that is going to be the theme of the future redemption, which is now. And the call upon, and what we're being called upon is to is to work on that attribute and to understand that this is where we're being tested the most. And again, the, the voices that are coming against us are very overwhelming. 
because it's a it's a time of vulnerability for so many people, and it's a time when we really have to be committed to seeing it all the way through the way the way that Hashem would want it, not the way that any other any other <laughs> external factor would want. And you know, you mentioned uh, you mentioned something. You, you translated from that Egyptian um, documentation, but you said the words "I will be what I will be." Right. This is an interesting thing because. Um, that's the King James version of the translation. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and this is this is really interesting. No, I, you didn't, you know, but this is really interesting because I find it like um, incomprehensible. I, I know that there's a lot of mistranslations in the King James version, and pardon yeah. me, but a lot of it is deliberate, as you know. Um, I find it, you know, like really incomprehensible that that's such a blatant, blaring, glaring mistranslation could be allowed to, to exist because the, the words ehiyah, asher ehiyah, are clearly future tense. Mm-hmm. So the translation of the, of the Hebrew is not I, I am that I am, like that. Who's, the voice on um, the Cecil B. DeMille film, you know, right. Charlton Heston, but I will be what I will be. And what is the difference between them? Why is that like such a major concept in true Torah understanding that Hashem says to Moshe, I will be what I will be. So part of it on a simple level is the fact that he's always bringing creation into, into being at every moment. And part of it also is the very, very simple idea that the best is yet to come is that the revelation of who Hashem is, 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 is not now, you know, it's, it's in the future. And there are so many other different interpretations that the sages have of what he meant exactly by that. I will be, what I will be. But if you say that I am that I am, it's like very limited. Very limited. And I know there's also some ideas in Christian eschatology that is that is implied by that expression also. Uh, I'm not going there, certainly, but the, but the point is it's a, a major, major difference, this the true translation of the words, I will be what I will be. And, all, and one of the ideas that, that the sages talk about is Hashem was telling Moshe that I will be with you in this in this um, difficulty, and I will be with you in the future as well. And again, getting back to the idea that the te- that this is a template of of the future. Everything that's that's going on in our lives now is a continuation of the process, the redemptive process of getting out, getting out of Egypt. And hopefully, this time we won't just leave with one fifth. We'll all have the have the faith to realize that that we have to follow Hashem. Right. Rabbi, I want, to your point, I'm, I think I'm, I'm glad you made that point because um, the point is I don't want our listeners and our viewers to be disappointed that, that uh, the inscription was translated in that manner because the Egyptians could have very well misunderstood what was said also. And even the translator may be trying to shoehorn it into maybe the translator of this particular text on this wall was basically thinking, oh, that's that's what I, I understand to mean. I am that I am. I would love to see what the original translation for that for that actual uh, part of the text. The point is is that the, the the main thing is the character of the idea is is still sort of intact of this this deity who who is unnamed in in, in so many ways. And you know we have that we have that in the uh, I didn't mention this be, be, probably because I always do. Uh, I often, when we talk about Yosef and when, when he was alive 
and and then later all of the pharaohs that he was uh, prime minister for, there is one pharaoh in that time frame who speaks of the the coming calamities of the Egyptians, and that's Pharaoh Unas. And in Pharaoh Unas's own tomb, which I've been inside and I've seen these these beautiful uh, pyramid texts that are you know elegant and well carved and all that, and and uh, this pharaoh who who Unas is is. All of these, these engravings and these reliefs and these glyphs extol what he'll be doing in the afterlife and names each god that he will be sort of running through the Elysian fields with. And then it says something very sobering. It says that Unus will sit with him whose name is hidden in the day of the slaying of the eldest. Wow. That's on, a, that's on a fourth dynasty tomb inside on the, the western wall of that tomb. Him whose name is hidden? The Egyptians, you know, and what did Pharaoh say when Moshe Rabbeinu came? He says, I've never heard of this right. God you've spoken of. So we know that the concept is, is there even, even in the time of Yosef, that he could not speak the name of his God out loud. And the pharaoh of, that, that he most likely, one of the pharaohs he served, actually spoke of that. Right. And again, the parsha begins, uh, Parshat Va'era, in Shemot, in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 2, it begins with Hashem announcing His name to Moshe, let, letting Him know that I didn't tell the forefathers this, but the truth is that I am supernature. I am above everything. I am, I will be what I will be, meaning, meaning that everything is, is completely... Subject to change, there are, and I and I do not subscribe to the rules at all. And that's what everything that Hashem did with the plagues proved to to Egypt. And so, I just want to say that that the secret of that name, we always talk about the fact that the secret of, the, of Hashem's name is that He recreates everything at every moment. Right. And in yeah. our lives as well, we see that Hashem is changing the world, and it's always. Um, it's always a tense kind of situation when we're moving from one era to another and from one manifestation to another. But but the reality that we are coming into now is a better reality. That's what we believe. That's again, I will be it. I will be means that the best is yet to come. And so the, and so getting back to our main theme, you and I today, the main thing is that for us to understand the test of faith that we are being subjected to and not to fall for the illusions of Pharaoh and his henchmen, which today really is represented maybe not by the magicians of the of old, but by the technocrats that we have today and those that think that they're God, those that want that that, that distract us from understanding that they're nothing and that only Hashem is is King and the Redeemer and all the people who keep us held down through the media, through governance, and through all of the manipulative ways that they try to control people. And that's really what this is all about. Because what we're facing now in Israel, I just want to say what we're facing now in Israel, requires a tremendous amount of Torah-based courage and spiritual maturity for us to understand. Now that, now that we are facing this, we have to go the distance we because the world is depending on it on it not just the, not just our brethren all over the world but all the forces of good all over the world are depending on the outcome of what we are going through now in Israel 
you know that. You've been here. You've seen it. Yeah, I, I was going to say to, to one thing I want to say back when we were talking about, you know, him uh, revealing this name is my first question when I read that is, well, how come he didn't reveal it to the names of the patriarchs? And, and then it, it suddenly I, I was able to answer my own question. This is the man who spoke face to face with Hashem. This is the mouth to mouth. He literally was he was in a place that no other human being had ever been before in history. So it would be a natural, in, in fact, that is probably the beginning of that relationship is when he revealed the, the holiest name of all, the, the, what we call the Tetragrammaton to, to Moshe Rabbeinu. This was, uh, uh, and even though, even though they were having, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu was having problems with, with believing Hashem, Hashem's mercy and his kindness towards M Moshe Rabbeinu was the fact that, look, I'm going to show you how much I, 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 uh, I trust that you're the man for the job. Here is, my, here is the name I'm known by. Beautiful thought. Yeah. Jim, can I make an announcement before we conclude today? Why I want, not? I want to just say that um, in our um, Sunday Zoom classes, we are about to conclude the book of Job in another, probably about another two weeks. And we've, we've really, it's been a life-changing experience. And very soon afterwards, we're going to begin an in-depth study of the book of Isaiah. We're very excited about So this is an opportunity for all those that might like to join us that have not yet participated in our Zoom classes to write to rabbi at rabbirichman.com for the info, info, login, and the schedule. And God willing, we're starting a whole new series of Zoom classes on the book of Yeshayahu very soon with God's help. So, Amen. It's always good to see you, Jim. Thank you so much you. for studying Torah with me today. And thank all our viewers and listeners. And may we wish everyone a beautiful incoming month of Shvat, month of renewal, which is coming this Thursday. And may it be a time of revealed blessings and goodness and renewal and renewed spiritual energy for all of us. Amen. Shalom, shalom.